I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've given a few people one of these papers. It's got the Babylonian rulers. You can get this out of any uh, religious bookstore. Just go and say, I want a, uh, one of your books with charts and all the ancient rulers that ruled over Israel. This has the Babylonian rulers. This is... And the reason for this, I'm trying to... I'm teaching on the 70 weeks of Daniel and the end of time. And the 70 weeks of Daniel has to do with Nebuchadnezzar. He's the third one on the list, Nebuchadnezzar the second, And he shows him... Uh, in Second Kings twenty four through twenty five, and Daniel one through four, from six o five to five sixty two, Nebuchadnezzar is the one that carried Israel away captive. Nebuchadnezzar second. Then you've got his son Evil Merodach, and then you've got Nergal Sherezer, and then you've got Lavashi Marduk. Then. Nabonidus, and I brought him up before, he is the father of the last king in here, Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar was not the father of Belshazzar. Uh, Belshazzar's father was Nabonidus. And then you got the Persian kings here. Persia was a dual empire. It was Persia Mede Empire. And Persia overthrew Babylon in 539. Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for carrying Israel away into captivity. Israel. Into captivity. I'll just put a C. And that was Nebuchadnezzar II. And he carried him into captivity. He actually carried southern Judah. Southern Judah into captivity. That was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and northern Israel was carried away by the Assyrian Empire, and they were here. They were here before the Babylonians. I should have given you. I may have one of those. I may have. I, I have a list of them in this series here. I love charts. Charts tell you a lot about history. Let me see here. I think I've got the Assyrian kings. Yeah. Y'all forgive me for not being prepared. But the Assyrian rulers are hard to name. Because this is the Assyrian rulers right here. It's a whole long list of them. It starts with Asher Ubalat the first, Adad Nereri the first, Shalmanazer, Shulman Asherid, and this all starts back in 1300 BC, nearly 1400. And then you had Tukulti, Ninurta the first, Asherdan the first, Tiglath Pileser, uh, the first and one of the guys who came in carried northern Israel away was the same name but he was on down the line 
Then you had Asherabi the second, Asheresh Ishi the second, Tiglath Pileser the second. He was in nine sixty-seven to nine thirty-five. Well, they were carried away in seven twenty-two. So this can't be. This can't be the one that carries them away. Then you had Asher Dan the second, Adad Nereri the second, Tukulti Nenerta the second, and it goes on down here, and it gets down to Shalmaneser the fifth, and you get into Tiglath Pileser the third, which has to be the one that carried him away captive. And you get into Sennacherib. He's the guy, the last Assyrian king, that slaughtered northern Israel and carried him away. Here's the whole point about their being carried away. I'm trying to teach you on the 70 weeks of Daniel. But the whole point, they were carried away by the Assyrian kings and by the by the Babylonian kings. And they were in captivity until... May 14th, 1948. That's when they became a nation again. And then they had all of these super wars. Uh, The next day after May 14th, May 15th, uh, 1948, the Arab nations declared war against Israel. And I'm going to read to you something that I... Sometimes I don't know where I'm going. This There's a hundred or thousand directions to go in my head. And I'm going to read to you. I read to you how all the nations that have have kept Israel in captivity... For all these years, and I've given you this paper right here. This is all the nations from the time that Israel was carried captive. And that's the reason I gave you that paper on the Assyrians, I mean on the uh, Babylonians and the Persians. I'll come back and bring you one on the Assyrians. Uh, But I gave you this paper right here. This tells you, this verifies, is verified in Luke twenty one twenty four that they, that the word they is referring back to the previous verses where it's talking about Israel going into captivity. They, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword. They fell back here under Nebuchadnezzar and fell back here under the Babylonian kings, Ashurbanipal and, and the rest of those guys, Shalmaneser. And they've been in captivity all the way till May 14, 1948. The next day, there was this battle has been going on between Israel and the nations of the world. I I read in this how that in Titus in 70 A.D. uh, came in and devastated Israel in 70 A.D. 
70 AD. Titus, his father was Vespasian. And Vespasian at that time was the Caesar in Rome. So he tells his son, you are my top general. You go in there and attack Israel. And this is the Israeli the Israeli Israeli Roman wars. And you've heard of Masada? I guess you have. I don't know. Masada is a mountain and the last battle they had was at Masada and it was uh, let's see if I can find a map of alright Masada was over here it was a mountain if this is Israel right here right there there's the Sinai Peninsula Egypt Mediterranean Sea Masada was a mountain a flat top mountain over here right next to uh, the Dead Sea this is Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River runs out of that down into the Dead Sea Masada's right over here and it was a a flat top mountain and it was just sheer cliffs up to it like a great big tall plateau and there was no way for the Romans to get up to it and a lot of Jews were up here trying to seek refuge and some of them were jumping off this mountain to commit suicide rather than have to uh, go under the rule of the Romans because they would be executed under the Romans. Anyway, so that was the last battle in the Roman-Jewish uh, war was Masada. And they were, they were put under rule for 2,600 years. Now this has to do with the 70 weeks of Daniel but let me show you something I haven't given you this time around there were all these wars that you had four wars where the Jews were just completely outnumbered and over numbered with weapons they just had more ordinance than all the Jews put together and they had the war of independence That started the next day in 1948, and then they had the they had the Sinai War, and that was in 1957, and then they had the Six Day War. This is very very important in this situation. Six Day War from June 5th through June 10th. 1967 that's when they procured Jerusalem back Jerusalem had been under the rule of pagans for that 2600 years they had been I didn't even spell that right J-E-R-U S-A-L-E-M I'll get in a minute S-A-L-E-M that that was the war where they 
procured back the Jerusalem city. And that, when you read Deuteronomy 24, 21, 24, it's about Israel getting back their city. They shall fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until... What if I said until the Six-Day War of 1967? That's when they quit ruling the Jews in Jerusalem. So that's very, very specific. And we went through all of these dates uh, where that they outlawed the Jews from going back into Jerusalem. When they had this Masada battle, they said, you can't have any Jews come in Jerusalem for 200 years and they, the Romans rebuilt the city and called it A-E-L-I-A Aelia Capitolina and then for uh, then we start in on two years later Rome began rebuilding the city all the Jews were excluded for two centuries and then in 614 a Persian general named King Carosus seized the city and slaughtered 60,000 Christians and it goes down here and goes through all of these dates until 1948. I'm not going to go through this again. But what I am going to do, I covered this. I want to cover these wars. You had the Sinai War. You had Independence War, Sinai War, the Six-Day War, 1967, Six-Day War. And then they had, they had the uh, Yom Kippur War. War of nineteen seventy three. And this colonel that comes here, when he's well, he's not very well now. He was retired from the military. He was in this Yom Kippur War. It had something to do with it. It's a long story. Now, let me let me go through these wars. I say something about Israel, and a lot of people don't know why I'll say it. Because of the victory that God brought about, an overwhelming victory through each one of these wars, it looked like the Jews were going to lose this war of independence. It looked like they possibly would lose this six-day war. And it was just a place of peril that they might lose this Yom Kippur war, but they didn't lose any of them. It was an overwhelming thing. I want to read to you about these wars. And that's why I believe that there's got to be some Jews in Israel that will join us in the... They will join us in this... uh, in the church of Jesus Christ. But they'll have to come through Jesus. Jesus said, No man comes to the Father but by me. Let me read this to you. This is out of a book that I got in 1988. And it was called Israel at 40. Israel at 40 years. Jesus said, there would be wars and rumors of wars, and the end is not yet. Matthew twenty four six. 
Since that time, many thousands have died attempting to conquer and defend the soil considered sacred to three world religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. May 14, 1948, the British flag was lowered in Tel Aviv for the last time. The reason the British had the had the rule over Israel, they were a satellite nation. Israel was a satellite nation of Great Britain. Great Britain is all of the English uh, colonies that belong to Britain. Let me erase this so I can express this. At the end of World War, I've said it, I'm going to say it more than once. At the end of World War one, except it wasn't called World War One. Why? We didn't know there was going to be a World War Two. It was called the Great War back then, or the War to End All Wars. So at the end, at the end of that war, 1917, I got this out of a book. And I've read it out of dozens of books. But I got this out of a book when I was just a young preacher, uh, about 22, 23 years old. In 1917, Israel had been under the rule of the Turks. And that was an empire, the Ottoman Turks. Ottoman Turks for 400 years. Of course, they'd been ruled by all these other people in that paper I gave you. And they were ruled by the Ottoman Turks. This is the last people that ruled them before they were broke loose into an independent, uh, free nation. And for 400 years, they're ruled by the Turks. 1917, at the end of World War II, or World War I, or the Great War, General Allenby, he was a British commander with, when I say Great Britain, that means England and all of its states, Ireland and all of the people that honor the Queen. It's be England and Ireland and Wales and and, uh, Scotland, Australia, Canada, some of the Caribbean islands. And those are all part of the British Commonwealth. So 1917, General Allenby came in. He was with the Allies. The Allies, and of course, is America and France and Britain. And, and they were siding with us in a fight over Germany. Germany was who we fought in the First War and the Second War. And then... In 1917, Mr. Allenby come in, and then in 1920, at the end of a war, whoever comes in and conquers that nation or that particular province, that is turned over to them to more or less rule after you're in a time of peace. That's why uh, East Germany went to Russia. They came in to the eastern sector of of Germany, uh, eastern Germany, and they split Berlin in half, 
and West Berlin and West Germany belonged to America to rule over them. That's why they had that iron curtain up there, that wall for so many years. And so at, and at the end of any war, South Korea at the end of World War II went to the United States to govern. North Korea went to Russia to govern because they were our allies and they had conquered North Korea. What we call Vietnam was French Indochina after the war. The French had had their soldiers in there and they took over. They turned that over to the French and since the French have left there. Well, when they issued this, this all has to do with the 70 weeks of Daniel. has to do with the end of time. End of time. We're still talking about that. And so they, Mr., they had Arthur Balfour, Balfour, issued, was issued the authority to write up an agreement called the Balfour Declaration. And this Balfour Declaration was very simple, just a few sentences, and it was issued by the nations of the world and given authority to Mr. Balfour to write it up. And it looked like it was favoring the Arabs from their viewpoint, and it looked like it was favoring the Jews from their viewpoint. So they're fighting all, they fight all the way through this time period. Sometimes I may go through some of that conflict they had from 1920 to 1948. And it was Harry Truman, our president, at the end of that war. Roosevelt had died, died of polio, or they called it infantile paralysis back then. And he died, and Truman took over. It was Mr. Truman that dropped the bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And uh, he pressured the world to declare Israel a nation when this Balfour Declaration expired. And he pressured the world with all kinds of sanctions on their ports, said, we won't ship anything to you. And so they voted Israel a nation May 14, 1948. And all the Arabs went to war. And they had these four wars. One, two, three, four. Four wars that were... Israel was completely overwhelmed. Let me read them, read them to you. There's no way... I'm, Unless God was there in charge, they could not possibly have won. Now let me read to you about the War of Independence. The day following their de declared independence, May 14, 48, Israel was invaded by Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. Forty-five million Arabs went to war with 64,000 Jews. You talk about outnumbered. They were outnumbered nearly 80 to 1. Maybe a little more than that. Britain's Field Marshal Montgomery predicted that it would take the Arabs but eight days to drive the Jews into the sea. 
Nine months and four days later, Israel had not only survived, but had come out much strengthened with 23% more territory than they had been allotted in the 1947 petition plan. The Arabs outnumbering the Jews almost 40 to 1. It would be more than that. I mean, if, if it's... If it's 64,000 Jews, it was 50,000 Jews, it would be 80 to 1. The Arabs outnumbering the Jews almost 40 to 1 had a very simple battle plan. Egypt was to attack from the south with 10,000 men. So they're going to come in from the south. Here's Egypt here. They're going to come in from the south with 10,000. There's no way out for Israel except the sea or the desert. So 10,000 of Egypt's going to come in from the south. And when you hear how many, how much ammunition they had, how much ordnance they had, which is their supply, it's hard to believe. They would come in with 10,000 men, sweep up the Negev, that's the desert, just below Israel, toward Tel Aviv, which is was the capital city at that time, up on the eastern border of Israel, with half the force, and the rest would move toward Jerusalem. Lebanese, Syrian, and Iraqi forces would move down from the north through Galilee. So, Lebanese, Syrian, and Iraq... Lebanon is here just above. It's called Tyre and Sidon. And that would be the Lebanese along with Iraq over here in the Babylon area. And all these people come in from the north. And there's no way they can get out of it. God had to be in this. It would move down from the north to Galilee and to Haifa and on toward Tel Aviv, which was their capital city at that time, where they would join up with the Egyptian forces from the east. Jordan would send 10,000 men to occupy the West Bank. So here's Jordan. And they're going to bring in 10,000 men. Israel is only about 120 miles long in depth. And it's just a little over, at the narrowest point, a little over 20 miles in width. How this could ever happen is just amazing. To occupy the West Bank, capture the old city of Jerusalem, lay siege to the new city, the outcome of the war was probably determined more... Was, nope, wait a minute was determined more by the attitude of the two sides. To the Arabs, it was a war of expansion and revenge. For the Jew, it was sheer survival. A fact that is known to make people fight harder than for those who are fighting simply to gain more territory. I believe it was because God was involved in it. The Israeli battle plan was much more complex. The first goal was to beat 
to defend to the utmost every Jewish settlement in the path of the invading armies, a task made difficult by the fact that Israelis had 10,000 rifles. That's it. But 10,000 Egyptians have come from the, come from the south. And 10,000 Jordanians are coming from the east. And yet all these other tribes, Lebanese and so forth, and Iraqis coming from the north with 50 rounds of ammunition. That means 10,000 rivals, and they can fire 50 times. That's it. A god had to be involved in this, didn't it? Four ancient artillery pieces and 36 submachine guns. We're talking about all that they had. They only had 10,000 rifles to shoot 10,000 people coming from the south. Forget the 10,000 people coming from the east. The second goal was to piece together a navy to lift the blockade and bring in men, munitions, and immigrants by way of the sea. The next goal was to lift the siege of Jerusalem and then turn aside, turn the tide of the battle from defensive to offensive moves. Each one of these goals was accomplished, perhaps the most dramatic being the rescue of Jerusalem. Since all the roads into Jerusalem were Arab-controlled, several thousand Israeli citizens carved out a road over the limestone hills through which food and weapons were brought in to defend the city. Banners displaying the words of Psalms 137.5 were flying from the vehicles, bringing in the supplies and weapons. If I forget the old Jerusalem, left, let my right hand forget her cunning. The heaviest fighting occurred between May 15th and June 11, after which time a four-week truce was arranged by the United, United Nations. During the lull, huge amounts of weapons were purchased from Czechoslovakia, and when fighting began again, Israel inflicted heavy casualties on the Arabs in all fronts. During the next lull, a group of Jewish radicals calling themselves the Stern Gang. The Stern Gang did not want things to happen the way it was happening with Israel. They wanted to go against Israel, but they didn't want to side with the Arabs. They murdered one UN mediator, Count Bernadotte, causing a great loss of image for the Israelis. Finally, on October 15th, the war broke out again, and the Israeli troops, by now well supplied, literally threw the Egyptians out. And it just it doesn't sound possible with 10,000 rifles, 50 rounds of ammunition each and four ancient artillery pieces, those cannon artillery pieces, and 36 submachine guns. That's it. Now, let me tell you about the Sinai War of 1957. The Sinai War. October 1956, Egypt, Syria, and Jordan 
prepared themselves again to encircle Israel. At the same time, we're talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel coming to an end. Egypt had seized control of the Suez Canal Company and had occupied all of the Sinai. The Suez Canal is a canal, one of the most important canals in the world because it goes up through the Red Sea and they dug it out all the way to Mediterranean Sea. It's the only way supplies could come in to anybody in this area unless they went round Africa, down around the Cape of Good Hope and came in through the the sea down there. It's just... So this was against Israel that they could not get any help up to Suez. The British and French moving against Egypt in retaliation for closing the Suez made sudden air attacks knocking out Egyptian air power. Israel seized the moment to launch an attack overrunning and clearing the Sinai Peninsula. The Sinai Peninsula just is adjacent to the Suez Canal. Destroying or dispersing about a third of the Egyptian army and capturing large quantities of Russian-built equipment. Israel took about 5,600 prisoners and killed somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 Egyptians while suffering 171 killed and 600 wounded. They were just completely outnumbered and they overwhelmed them just it was just it's phenomenal the situation in the middle east at that time became so tense that many feared armageddon was just around the corner i guess so when the british and french attacked egypt egypt sank every ship and barge in the Suez Canal in an attempt to close it to the western shipping Russia threatened to come to Egypt's aid and the United States quickly promised to back Britain if Russia did jump in on Egypt's side by December however the UN troops were able to restore order and persuade Israel to pull its troops out of Sinai a decision it would later regret. Now, that's just a skeletal picture of these wars. This is not in depth. Then the Six-Day War. Let me read that to you. This is that Six-Day War where they get Jerusalem back. All during the early 1960s, minor border skirmishes and Arab terrorist attacks came, followed by reprisals by Israel in 1966, Nasser, I remember him well. When I was in high school, he was the Game uh, Abdul Nasser, was the president or what, whatever the title is of Egypt. Nasser made a pact with Syria in the event of the Israeli invasion. In 1967, terrorist attacks and Syrian bombardment of Israeli villages in the north country, and the north continued. 
In retaliation, the, the Israelis shot down six Syrian MiGs, which they had procured from Russia, while continuing their warnings to the Arab nations that Israel might have to take further reprisals if the attacks continued. Nasser began amassing troops in the Sinai. Nasser's in Egypt. He's over here. He's over here. He's amassing troops in the Sinai to go against Israel. And this is in the Six-Day War. Nasser began amassing troops in the Sinai at the same time forcing the UN peacekeeping force to withdraw and threatening this time to completely destroy Israel. Finally, Nasser closed the Straits of Tehran, threatening to blow up any shipping vessel found from for Elot, bound for Elat. When another war with that with the Arab nations seemed inevitable, Israel decided to seize the advantage. With several lightning air raids beginning on June 5th, Israeli Mirage, and they had gotten these jets from France, I've read about them, and the Mystere jets succeeded in destroying most of the air power of Egypt. I saw a documentary on that. It's about two and a half minutes by jet fighter from Israel to Egypt. And they destroyed most of the Egyptian air force before the pilots could get out of the hangars and to their trains. The pilots, one writer said, they were still drinking coffee inside the hangar when Israel jets come over and just wiped out the Egyptian air force. Destroying most of the air power of Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Iraq before the planes could get off the ground. Israeli armored columns then cut through the Negev into the Sinai and overrunning more than 100,000 Egyptian forces stranded there without air cover in the matter of hours hundreds of armored vehicles were destroyed or captured. By June 7th, Egyptian resistance in the Sinai had collapsed. In the north, after serious fighting, Nablus and Jericho were captured, and at 8 p.m., Israel and Jordan had accepted a ceasefire called for by the United Nations. For two days, Syrian artillery had been bombarding Israel villages. We don't know what that's like. You can't go over there. There's bombs going off in the marketplace, and they've got car bombs going off. They've got guys with bombs strapped to their body going to some shopping center and blowing up the shopping center and killing people. We can't imagine what's going on over there. For two days, Syrian artillery had been bombarding Israeli villages in Galilee, but the Israeli Air Force and infantry units by June 9th had overrun the gun emplacements. By the next day, Israeli forces 
This is nothing but a miracle from God. Israeli forces overrun the gun emplacements. By the next day, Israeli forces were 12 miles into Syria. Syria is right above Israel. You can see it right there. The big sign says Syria, right here. They were being attacked by everybody around them. And they were totally outnumbered and outgunned. Who else but God had to be involved in this? I wish Mike was here. He could tell you about this, about this, this Yom Kippur war he was in. Yom, I, let me finish this other one. Egyptian losses during the Six-Day War in both men and equipment were very heavy, although casualty figures were never released by the Egyptian government Jordanian casualties were listed as 6,094 killed and missing, 762 wounded, and 463 prisoners taken. Israeli losses were 679 killed as compared to 6,094, and 2,563 wounded. They had most of their people come out okay. Now, the Yom Kippur War. The reason I'm reading these, I believe these wars have to do with Jesus coming back. This is the generation that will not pass away till all is fulfilled. Yom Kippur War, 1973. Tensions between Israel and the surrounding nations had never been quite completely tranquil, but in the fall of 1973, the situation became worse. Finally, on a day when they thought Israelis would be least prepared to defend themselves, on the day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Egypt from the south and Syria from the north attacked. The assault was planned for 6 p.m. on October the 6th, which was Yom Kippur, a day when Israelis would have been observing a fast, their most holy day of worship. That was in the that was in the seventh month, the tenth day of the seventh month. And the seventh month was our month, September, October. Russian satellite intelligence warned the Syrians that Israel was beginning to expect something and was making preparations. So the attack actually took place four hours earlier than scheduled. The amassing troops and armor was said to be the largest since the close of World War II. Some 5,000 tanks and more than one million men, 838,000 Arabs, 275,000 Jews. Egypt alone was said to have thrown 3,000 tanks, 2,000 heavy guns, 600,000 men just from Egypt against the Israelis. You know, this really... Makes me glad, because I know that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to come back with eyes as a flame of fire, 
and he's going to take vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. And this shows his power here. I believe that some of these Jews that are there are elect. I'd just like to be a part of getting the message to them. Considering just the strength of the forces alone, it should have been the annihilation of the state of Israel. They were so overwhelmed. That followed in the next 19 days, being caught so terribly off guard and outnumbered. Mike said he was there when that happened. Mike is the guy, the retired colonel that comes here when he can. I can't tell you what he tells you about it. It's just uh, overwhelming. He said they were attacking from the north and we didn't have any any defense in the north. And he said he was a a young lieutenant or something like that at that time. Or I don't think he was as high as a captain. I think he's a lieutenant. And he said he called his superior officer and he told him, call the White House in America. He said he got on the phone and called the White House and all he could get was Nixon was in bed, thought he was drunk or something like that, probably mourning over the Watergate thing. This was in 73 when the Watergate came to a peak and said he couldn't get a hold of anybody but the chief of staff. And he called his his superior back, and he said, go to such and such a house on such and such a street in Israel. He said, I went to that house, knocked on the door. <laughs> this woman answered the door, and it was Golda Meir. You know who Golda Meir is. Golda Meir was the first of the premiers of Israel in '48. Everybody knew go to my ear. Everybody. And he said, I was just in shock that she would answer the door because I knew her from her pictures. She had the same position that the, that the premiers have today. But he goes on to say, go to my ear later confessed in this article. Well, let me read that again. Considering just the strength of the forces alone, it should have been the annihilation of the state of Israel that followed in the next 19 days. Being caught so terribly off guard and outnumbered, Golda Meir later confessed, For the first time in our 25-year history, we thought we might have lost. But I think God was there. At one time, only a few dozen tanks stood in the way, both in the north and south, of oncoming Arab forces. But during an unexplained two-day lull in the fighting, in lull in the fighting, Israel was able to regroup, and on October the nineteenth, a tank battle of unprecedented magnitude. Mike has talked about that tank battle. A tank battle of unprecedented magnitude took place in the Sinai Desert, just south of Israel. When the dust cleared, Israel had won a tremendous victory 
and began pressing on into Egypt, conquering territory west of the Suez. Here's the Suez right here. The Suez Canal comes up here. So they're west of the Suez over here in this area right here. We're talking about in my lifetime. I was a little kid about nine years old when all this is going on over there in Israel. I was nine or about eight or nine, something like that. A tank battle unprecedented. When the dust cleared, Israel had won a tremendous victory and began pressing on into Egypt, conquering territory west of the Suez. In the north, Israel began pushing the Syrians back. And by the time ceasefire was arranged, Israeli troops were within 20 miles of Damascus. Damascus. Right here. There's Damascus. Here's Syria. They were attacking from the north. This is all Israel is, just that little bitty tiny nation. It's smaller than New Jersey. I asked Mike, I said, Mike uh, worked with them over there and training soldiers after he retired from our military. He just had a heart for them over there. I got to tell you the story so people will know it. Mike said he went over there and he met with Netanyahu. Netanyahu being the premier of Israel, and he said he went to he was in the military with Netanyahu's brother, so he felt pretty close to him. And they were in northern Israel, up here. And he said he's in an air base with Mr. Netanyahu. And uh, he said, Mr. Netanyahu asked him, said, what are you doing down there in southern Israel? said, he just didn't understand what was going on. And Mike was training some of the Jews that had come back from Egypt up to Israel. And he was training them militarily in weapons and so forth. And he said, he told Benjamin Netanyahu, if you'll get in a car with me, we'll ride down and I'll show you what I'm doing. He said, they came down to southern Israel and it's only 120 miles long, the old nation. And they got down to southern Israel and they went to this rabbi, Rabbi Eli was a friend of Mike's. And he said they stopped and they were having a meeting there. I guess a Bible meeting. And I had been, we had, Mike at one time had said, I would like to take some of your messages over there on a hard drive. So Mike and the guys fixed up about 400 of my messages or something like that on a hard drive. And Mike took them back over to Rabbi Eli, and he was mailing them out, mailing them out around Israel, and we we got we got all kinds of response from uh, some of the Israelis. One lady, her name was Adasa. That that was 
Esther's real name in the book of Esther was Hadassah, and she was called Esther when she was the wife of uh, Artaxerxes or Ahasuerus, according to the Bible. And we got, I got, we got a email for one young man. He said he heard us on his Walkman or something. He had a had one of my tapes, and but he said I can't tell you who I am and you can't email me because he said I'm a Palestinian and they will kill me if they find me with one of your one of your tapes. And uh, but Mike said he uh, he was. Uh, he took Mr. Netanyahu. They stopped at Rabbi Eli's. They went in there, and Rabbi Eli saw Benjamin Netanyahu back there in the crowd, and he asked him to come forward and to give a speech on what's going on. So would Mr. Netanyahu come up there, and uh, he said uh, he gave a talk on on the war and on the munitions and how things are working, tanks here and planes here. We're just kind of describing things. And after it's over, uh, they called Mike up, said, we'd like you to give a speech. Mike said he talked to him about Bible. And after he said he talked to him for two or three hours, and when he got out of the he got out of the uh, pulpit or whatever it was and walked out into the crowd. One guy come up to him and said, what did you learn all that Bible? And he said, I learned it at Jim Brown University in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And I considered that a, an honor that he said that. But he, he can tell you more. He, he told us about he knows all about what's going on over there he knows more about the Middle East than anybody I've ever talked to if you can get him to talk because he won't hardly talk about it unless you kind of fish him into it but he uh, he uh, said he was telling us about the warheads they've got Israel has got he said at least 800 nuclear warheads. And they got their nuclear power from France. And he said, each one of these warheads is buried in the ground. And I asked him, I said, Mike, what if they've got a great big boulder on top of it? He said, it'll snap it off like a like a little pebble. <coughs> and he said, when it goes to what he called an apogee, the apogee, I don't know how you spell it, A-P-O-G-E-E, I guess, and the apogee is the height of where the nuclear warhead will go to, and it might have 15 or 20 <coughs> nuclear warheads come off that one that one warhead and fire them in all kinds of directions. That's why that's why all these nations is. I asked him. I said, "Isn't that why all these nations will not out and out attack Israel?" He said, "That's exactly why." because they know they'll get hit with a nuclear power that they have never experienced. But anyway, let me read the rest of this war on Lebanon. War on Lebanon. Over the years, Israel's border areas have always been vulnerable to attack. 
Well, look at what they're surrounded. It's Israel is like Mighty Mouse sitting in the in the lap of a bunch of cats. They don't want to attack Mighty Mouse because they're in for devastation. They they can put those Scud missiles in, which are bombs, or go in there with a bomb on their back and they're wanting to blow up some bus or car or something, but they can't go into nuclear power because if Israel is provoked, there will be something to pay on that. Let me read the rest of this. In the early 1980s, there had been numerous rocket and mortar attacks on the section of northern Galilee that bordered on Lebanon. These attacks came primarily from, primarily from Palestinians who had set up Operation in the southern part of Lebanon. In the year prior to June 1982, more than 400 rockets and shells had fallen inside Israel, even though these had resulted in only two deaths. The Israeli government decided the time had come to clear southern Lebanon of this threat. On June 5, 1980, Israeli Defense Force launched what they called Operation Peace for Galilee. Galilee is right up there by Lebanon. Galilee was where Jesus preached his first message there in in Matthew, the fifth chapter. With the objective of removing PLO presence from all the areas, 25 miles, the PLO is... Uh, Palestinian Liberation Organization is a Palestinian uh, terrorist organization. And uh, I guess they developed into Hamas, H-A-M-A-S, north of the Israeli's border. The initial objective was reached within a matter of days, but it became quickly evident that once started, the operation would not stop. In the area's captured by the Israeli forces. Dozens of armed caches were found, some small, some large. The arms were usually situated near a mosque, a school, a hospital, or a church so to deter the Israelis from hitting them with air and rocket attacks for fear that civilians would be injured. The amount of the arms captured was staggering, some ten times what even the efficient Israeli intelligence had estimated was in the area. Just in the southern area of Lebanon, it took 1,000 men and 150 trucks about five weeks to evacuate many tons of arms captured. Now, this is this book was back in 1988. There's much more involved now. For unknown reasons, the amount of arms captured was overwhelmingly more than the PLO could have needed for its own troops. Then I'm just going to read this one paragraph and I'm going to get back to the lesson. I wanted you to hear about these wars against Israel, the first four wars that were just, they were overwhelmed. The PLO had its headquarters in Beirut, that's right inside Lebanon. And there, the Israeli Defense Forces concentrated their attention, including airstrikes on PLO headquarters 
and weapons dumps. Finally, in September 1982, all PLO troops were evacuated from Beirut. Many left the country, but others simply made their way to the north of the country. And that's all I'm going to read on this. But that gives you all of these wars where they were completely outnumbered and overwhelmed, yet they came out winners with more land. There's nothing but a God that could have done that. Nothing. How much time do I have, Mike? Maybe I can get some more in. And I believe that this is... Well, let me go back to Luke 21. Let's turn over to Luke, the 21st chapter. This is going to tell you. Luke 21. Luke 21. And Matthew 24. Are sister chapters. They're saying basically the same thing. When I was traveling on the road as a young evangelist back in the mid-late 60s and up to about 71, 72, this is the first thing I always started with if I was talking about the end of time. All right, let's go back to Luke 21 and verse... Let's start earlier than my favorite verse. I've got a favorite verse. It's verse 24. This will tell you about the end of time. This will tell you about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereignly defending His people. I'm not saying that you won't die. But if you die, you'll go be with the Lord. Our hope is in Christ. It's not in this world. Now, the apostles come to Jesus and they say to Him, What's going to be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? That's the way they put it over in Matthew 24. Well, in Matthew 21, they're saying a lot the same thing. In 21, here's the way they put it. And in verse 7, And they ask him, the apostles asked Jesus, saying, Master, when shall these things be, and what sign will be when these things come to pass? And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, and they'll say that I am Christ. They're not going to say they're Christ. You can't deceive that way. He said, They're even going to admit that I am Christ. And the time draweth near. Go ye not there for after them. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, that's going on now, be not terrified, for these things must, they must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Nation is the word ethnos. That's also the same word Gentile. Everybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. You can go over there to Europe and you can see the Shiites uh, warring against the other group of, what do they call the, the Sunnis. 
the Shiites and the Sunnis are all Arabs, and they're warring till we come over there, and then they all get together and attack us, the Shiites. And the Sunnis. I believe the Shiites follow Mohammed and his words, and the Sunnis follow his nephew Ali. And yet they're all from the same family and they're fighting each other and shooting each other until we go over there. Now, Let's keep on reading here. So this is talking about the end of time. Great earthquakes shall be in diverse places. Diverse means diverse. And famines and pestilences. Wait a minute. That's what the Bible says in the Old Testament. I'll send sword, famine, pestilence. How does the famine come? It comes. It comes with economy doesn't it a lack of economy they're talking about with Biden giving away all these all this money then we're having some of the shelves are said to starting to empty I went through the grocery store today and there's a lot of items that are not on the shelves because they can't get people to work They'd rather stay at home if they get paid to stay at home than go work a job. Now, and I believe this economy is going to crash before it's over with. They're saying that gas prices already out in California, gasoline is already above $5 a gallon. And it's getting bad. All this that's happening is supposed to happen. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you. Talking about believers. Delivering you up to the synagogues and to the prisons. Being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. People say, I just don't think God would cause Christians to suffer. And that'd be a pre-tribulation rapture. You are... You are dreaming. You're fooling yourself. There is no pre-trib rapture. We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump. There has to be a first trump and a second trump. There are seven trumpets that sound in Revelation 8, 9, and 10. 8, 9, and 10. I'm saying this so you'll know. If you're here... When the end comes, you're going to have to suffer. You may have to die. If you can get old enough, you'll say, I don't mind dying anymore. I don't mind dying. I want to go be with Jesus. I'm tired of this world. I'm sick of it. And we're going to be changed at the last trump. The last trump sounds in Revelation 10 and 7. The seventh trumpet sounds in the mystery of God, which is the church. Is finished. Teleotes, T E L E I O T E S, and that means complete. The last one comes into the fold at the signing of the seventh trumpet. 
the last one of God's predestinated elect. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Maturion means to be a martyr and die. That's what testimony means. Set it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. But it don't mean you're going to have an answer without reading the Bible. Read your Bible and get the Bible in. Get it in your craw. For I will give you mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to speak against. Gainsay means to speak against, nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents. They won't like the truth of man's foes with those of his own household. And that's the way it is today, isn't it? And brethren and kinfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You have to be hated to be a believer. Jesus said that in John 15. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. He's not saying that that's an old saying. You won't perish in the spirit. Don't fear him that can destroy the body. Fear him that can destroy both soul and body in hell. And your patience possess you your souls. And when you see Jerusalem coppiced with armies... When is that? 586 B.C. This is the subject all the way down through here. He's starting on the subject of Jerusalem. And they're going to fall by the sword by all those people on that paper I gave you. All these people are going to destroy Jerusalem. Going to occupy it, run the Jews out of it, kill them by the millions. When you shall Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation of Jerusalem is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea, which are the mountains around Jerusalem, run for your life to the mountains. And let them which are in the middle of Israel depart out. And let not them that are in the countries around Israel enter into it. Why? For these be the days of God's revenge upon Israel because for 500 years under kings they went after Baal and Grove and Shemash and Molech and all the gods of Egypt and the gods of the Syrians and they did the same thing when under judges. He said this is the days of God's revenge that all things which are written may be fulfilled. He kept telling Israel, over here in the Old Testament. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to remove you from Israel. Remove. I'm going to put you over in Babylon for 2,600 years. And then I'll cause you to return to this place. He says that over and over again in the Old Testament. But warn to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. He said, one to the pregnant women. Because there's not going to be a mercy on you. You had no pity for me and for my laws. I'm not going to have any on you and your children. In fact, when the Assyrians come in in that 13th chapter of Hosea, 
They ripped the women's bellies open and dashed their babies' brains out on the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. Look at that in look at that in in Hosea the thirteenth chapter. Hosea thirteen, I'll read it to you. He's talking about the Assyrians coming in. And when they come in, here's what they're going to do. Hosea 13. And he says these over and over again. He says here in Hosea, the 13th chapter. Let's read verse 14. This is where what God's going to do. He's going to bring Israel back. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Then verse fifteen Though he be fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come. That's what Babylon was called, that's what the Assyrians were called. They were called an east wind because they were east of Israel. An east wind shall come from the wilderness. It's talking about the east wind is going to come from over here in the east. Let me pick my Bible up. I don't want to lose my place. Babylon will come from over here, but they won't come through the desert. They'll come up here. The Bible says they always came from the north. They came from the east, but they attacked through the north. And Assyria will come from over here, east of Israel, and they'll take northern Israel from the east or from the north. It's better if you can see maps and see how it's going to happen. Now, let's go back over here to Luke. Oh, let me finish reading this. In An east wind shall come. This is Hebrews, I mean Hosea, 13 and 15. An east wind shall come. And the wind of the Lord shall come from the wilderness, and his fountain shall come dry, and his fountain shall be dried up, and he shall spoil the treasure of all the pleasant vessels. Samaria shall become desolate. Samaria is northern Israel, for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces. And the women with child shall be ripped up. How's that for a God? Now back to Luke. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let not them that are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries, enter therein too. But woe unto them that are with child, and them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people Israel. He's talking about Israel. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. For how long? Until the times of the Gentile rule over Israel is finished. And that began to happen in May 14, 1948. It was consummated 
in that six-day war of 67 when they drove the Jordanians out and took the land back. Now let's read verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Perplexity is the word aporia. It means in a quandary. What is a quandary? That's where a man is up against the wall. Quandary, no way out. Looks like our nation and the world is headed for that. There's no way out. And we're coming down to the wire at the end of time. That's all of this is going to happen, and then I'm going to have to go back to Ezekiel, the 39th chapter. I did the 38th chapter a couple of weeks ago, and that 38th chapter is where all these nations that are around Israel is going to attack Israel, and there are other nations by another name. Let me see if I've got that handy. This is it right here. All these nations, Mizraim, Put, Javan, Tiras, Meshach, Tubal, all these are in that 28th chapter, and they are, let me see here, all these nations are, Egypt, Put, Mizram, Ethiopia, Cush, and this would be, Madai would be Assyria, would be Persia actually, the way it's said in Ezekiel 38. They're all going to come together as a, a confederacy. That's where people come together as one. And they're going to be confederate and they're going to attack Israel. And we've already said that God's, he said, my fury will come up in my face. I'm going to get red in the face and I'm going to be furious. And he's going to come up. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to destroy all these nations that attack Israel. But that's more than just Israel. I believe that Gog and Magog, it's actually the Assyrian area up here. And Gog and Magog was the old enemies of Israel. And Gog and Magog is going to attack Israel throughout the world. And we are spiritual Israel. So the whole truth is going to be attacked at the end of time. It's under attack right now. We are going to be... I believe some of us will be here and see the attack on the world. They're, they're doing what Isaiah said in the 10th chapter. They're calling good evil and evil good. Now, let's read some more of this. There'll be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth distress of nation with perplexity. The sea and the waves are roaring. 
There's going to be all kinds of weather upheavals that will affect the economy. Men's hearts failing them for fear for looking after the things which are coming on the earth. I don't believe the believers' hearts are going to be in fear. I believe that's the unbelievers. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And the heavens was the title for Israel. And God is in the heavens. And I believe he's going to shake this world before long. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin, begin, archomai means actually a beginning. And arch, this is the word archomai. Let me erase some of this. This word begin is the word A-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. A-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. And ARC, A-R-K, A-R-C, is the beginning of a circle. When you finish an ARC, it goes into a full circle. And that has spiritual meaning too, which I won't go into right now. And when these things begin to come to pass, when what begins? Everything he's talked about here. When they will come saying, I am Christ and deceiving many. When you see Jerusalem compassed with armies. When you see the times of the Gentile rule of a general over the Jews finished. We're going to be right at the end of time. I don't see how the end of time can be very far down the road. I just don't see how. I've always felt since I was young that I would be around when the end of time came. I very well may be here. People like me will have to pay with our life. I don't mean that in a boast. I don't believe they're going to let men like me say what I say without some kind of ramifications to it. When these things begin to come to pass, when the Gentile rule over over the Jews is finished, when they begin to happen, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Israel was called a fig tree. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of their own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. You can tell by the fig trees when summer is here. I got two fig trees over there on uh, Irvine, where we have our we have our production area, and they're packed full of figs. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is near. Nigh at hand means it's it's a bonus. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away. People try to make a generation a period of time, and it's not. It means age. Or kin folks, it is the word Ganea, 
it means it comes from the word genos and it, we get our word gene from that it means these genes that's upon the earth when these things start happening will not pass away I believe that's my generation will not pass away till all is fulfilled I believe it's upon us one thing we don't need to be doing is fighting each other heaven and earth shall pass away but my words will not pass away the heavens was the ruling class and the earth was the ruled and take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged the word is baruno it's the same word as heavy B-A-R-U-N-O your heart is heavy burdened with surfeiting the word surfeiting is the word cry K-R-A-I And cry means you got a headache and a pain from being debauched and glutting yourself. So it'll be overcharged with serviting and drunkenness. It don't mean literal drunkenness. It means you're drunken by the things of this world. It takes so much sugar, so much so much leaven, so much hops, and it has to be aged at lukewarm temperature, room temperature, to have a drunken elixir. I've got a book on that up here, what it takes to have a drunken elixir. And that's what Jesus said to one of the churches. He said, you're drunken. You said, we have plenty. They're drunken with the things of this world and cares of this life so that they come upon you unaware. As believers, we don't need to be unaware. This thing that's happening in Afghanistan, the Afghanistanians are taking over an entire country, and the Taliban is a... It's a... uh, terrorist organization I don't know if it's the first time that a, that a terrorist organization has ruled a whole country over there what they're going to do is they're going to spread this this message to all these other countries over there oh, Afghanistan is right over here it's off the map about somewhere about here and they can spread this out here that Al-Qaeda and ISIS and Hamas and the rest of those terrorist organizations can take over countries. That very well may be the beginning of this thing in the 38th chapter of of uh, Ezekiel that they're all going to attack Israel. Could be. The fact that the Taliban has taken over a country. Do you all, do you all realize what kind of a thing that is? When a terrorist organization takes over an entire country, 
I don't know if that's ever happened before. They usually operate within the bounds of that country. And then he goes on to say, For as a snare it shall come on all of them that dwell on the face of the whole earth, which watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be able to count it worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. You'll only escape in the spirit. You won't escape in the physical. And and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple. This is what's going to be happening at the end of time. It looks like it's begun to happen already because God has sent us a pestilence. He sent the coronavirus. That's God's virus. That's God's disease. And he's starting the world to churn up and we're fighting. Everybody's fighting all over the world. There are ten major wars going on in the world right now. They're major wars just like just like we would call Korea or a war over there or Vietnam. There are major wars all over the world. There's hundreds of wars going on, but there's ten big ones. Well, I'm about to run out of time. I'm going to come back. I'm going to go back. I wanted to get in these wars that I read to you about. And I've read them, and I know everybody's going to write and say, we want a copy of those. Well, you can have a copy. I'll have Tom make a copy up of all of them, get a bunch of copies where we can send them out. But what I want to do is go back to Ezekiel. Thirty-nine. I found some. This is where they're going to go about burying all the people that God killed in 38 when his eyes became a flame of fire and he came down upon came down upon Gog and destroyed it. Gog is nothing but God's most ancient enemies. And there's something that puzzled me in the 39th chapter and I'm going to cover it that I found out the truth about it. I'm going to go back to that. I'm going to get back to the 70 weeks, 70 weeks, and how that they're going to be split into two parts. There's going to be 69 weeks. These are weeks of years. 69 Shabua, S-H-A-B-U-A. Shabua means sevens. That was because they had a sabbatical year every seven years where they had to let the land alone, let it lie fallow. They couldn't plow it. This is the very essence of everything that's going on. That's found in Leviticus 25. That's what caused them to go after other gods. That's what caused God to scatter them. And while they're scattered all over the world and they had to come back to their three festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering coupled with the Day of Atonement. That's why they ended up speaking all of these glossa, foreign languages, and dialects. And that will straighten out 
the electos, that will straighten out everybody's confusion on Acts 2. Acts 2. Uh, their confusion on tongues because it was dialects and glossa. Glossa means foreign language. And it will straighten out why Christmas was brought into the church by Constantine. All of this is one picture, and it connects together. It's really an amazing picture. Once you learn it, I've heard a lot of preachers say, well, people can't understand the 70 weeks of Daniel. I don't believe that. I don't believe God gave us a book that the average Christian cannot understand. I don't believe you have to be a genius to understand it. All you have to do is listen to the story. It's one story. Am I out of time, Mike? I'm out. I'll be back Saturday to to continue on this 70 weeks and to try to explain that 39th chapter. What I want to do is take you back into Ezekiel and show you what it's about overall. It's really not even hard. It's just knowing enough the information. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. God calls us to continue this truth. Fight our battles. I've got a lot of people who want to destroy this this ministry. Stop them in their efforts. I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm not going to fight them. I don't believe in fighting anybody. Just stop people who will try to destroy us. I'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Huh? When I was in the Navy, we transited the Suez Canal in '91, and uh, they left all the tanks here that was blown up on both sides where they shot yeah. at each other. I heard they took them; they got them off there now. But when I went well, there, there's a lot going on over there that we just don't know. I got to see all the blown up tanks. People are not experienced enough to understand what's going on in the Middle East. Everything that's going on over there is about the end of time.